Take that, if you would, turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews 12, the passage that uh, James read earlier. And you'll find that if you're using the Bible provided for you there on page 1008 as we're continuing this journey through this wonderful, wonderful book that reminds us that Jesus is better. He's better than anything, anyone in this world. We should never settle for less. Never settle for less. Jesus is better. Now, as you're turning there, I do want to add my encouragement for you to be praying for the special day coming up in three weeks as we celebrate the 57th anniversary of this church, uh, founded on the last Sunday in September 1961. Uh, Susan and I had a blessing the last, uh, last Thursday night to be able to go and visit with the founding pastor of our church, Pastor Ted Willie. He's now uh, 80 or 81 or so. Uh, his dear wife, Renita, passed away back in April, and we were able to go and spend some time with him as he lives over in Crossville. And I tell you, as we've been talking about faith, uh, my heart was thrilled uh, to recognize how this church was started by faith, uh, the faith that God put in people's hearts and uh, the way they believed God to do something special as they stepped out to start uh, this church. I'm so grateful for those uh, nine individuals, nine people that started uh, this church in that home on Coleman Road uh, in September of 1961. And we're grateful for God's continued faithfulness. Uh, We are looking forward to that anniversary Sunday to celebrate that day. Also that morning, we'll have some special things to share about our proposed uh, Uh, building construction over the next few years as part of our 2020 vision. Many of you are familiar with that or heard about that. And so we look forward to having uh, some presentation in the service that morning about that. And then that evening at 5 o'clock is uh, a family gathering where everyone who attends here is welcome to come. And then as a part of that, there will be a session where uh, the church family will be asked to approve the final a financial plan toward the construction uh, of the next phase of this campus development. So we're very excited about that. I hope that you'll be praying. Uh, after that service at 6 o'clock in the evening, then we'll have the church picnic up on the uh, Fields of Grace. We always enjoy that. It'll be a wonderful time. Hope that you'll come. Mark it on your calendar. And we are trusting God to provide, as the church voted uh, back on June the 3rd, that we were committed to not starting building until we had had a first uh, raise $500,000 for the first phase. And so our uh, offering toward that, our first offering, Jehovah Jireh offering, is on November the uh, 18th. And we are praying that God, by the his grace and by the generosity uh, that he will put in our hearts that we will be able very soon to raise that $500,000 so that we can uh, begin this next phase of campus development. So I hope that you'll be praying about that. We'll be saying more about it in the weeks ahead, but please do mark three weeks from today as a very special morning and a very special afternoon and evening uh, that we will share together. Well, Hebrews is about faith. So much of it is about faith, true faith. 
And Hebrews 12 is about how we live by that faith, or as we are challenged, you'll see in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, to run by faith, that our life journey of faith is to be conducted like a race as we are surrounded by these former participants, this great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us, who persevered with endurance in their race, and now by their example, they encourage us as believers to do the same. Now, as we think about running the race, I want you to see there's one quality that is introduced in the first two verses of chapter 12, and then these next verses that we've read remind us of the one essential quality for running your race as a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's see if we can locate that quality by looking at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight, that is everything that's unhelpful, and the sin, that which is unholy, everything that's unhelpful and everything that's unholy, which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What is the one great quality that is essential for running our race as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see it? Verse 1, that we are to look and to our cloud of witnesses and we run with endurance. You see the word endurance in verse 1? And we are looking to Jesus, verse 2, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Endurance, endurance, endurance. The challenge to us that's being given here is that if we are going to run our race, we must run it light. (laughs) Laying aside everything that's unhelpful and everything that's unholy. But we must be prepared to run long. The Christian life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And it requires endurance. And that's the lesson that the Lord has for us as his followers in this passage. It's the lesson about long distance endurance. Living for the long run. following Christ. And so this morning, let's look at some insights about endurance. Because starting with verse 3, all the way down through verse 17, as James read, the focus is on how we run our race with endurance. 
And if we're going to do that, there are three things we are called to remember. We're called to remember three things if we're going to run with endurance. First of all, verses 3 and 4, the writer says, we need to remember our Savior's pattern. We need to remember our Savior's pattern because he ran his race with endurance. Verse 3, consider him, that is Jesus. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What endurance our Lord had, right? That he was willing to endure the cross, even though he despised the shame. He was willing to endure the entire journey of his calling, of his mission. And what was it that motivated his endurance? He was motivated by enduring love. Enduring love. What was it that gave the Lord the motivation to endure even to the shame and disgrace of the cross? He was not motivated only out of duty, though he did his duty. He was motivated out of the deepest devotion. I love how we're told in John chapter 13, Jesus came to the final night with his disciples. The rest of the Gospel of John up through chapter 21 talks about that final night and the final events of the next day. But here's what chapter 13 verse 1 says. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the what? To the end. Isn't that great? Having loved his people, he loved them all the way to the end. My friends, it was not Roman soldiers that pinned Jesus' hands to that cross. It was his own love that caused him to stretch those arms out. He endured out of love. Friends, sometimes when we think that we have done as much as we can do and we were about ready to quit and all of us are going to get there, hey, we're in church, let's just be honest about it, right? There's times we're going to feel like quitting. I want to challenge you as the writer challenges us Remember your Lord's enduring love. Jesus, I feel like quitting. And without your help, I will quit. But I'm looking to you. I remember you didn't quit on me. And don't you thank God he did not. That Jesus didn't quit on us. Remember your Savior's pattern. You've not yet endured death. You're still alive. You've not shed your blood yet. Endure as he endured for you in love. 
Now, there are things that we need to learn that we will endure for God. The Bible says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There are things we will endure because we live for God. But there's something even more challenging than that, perhaps. It's learning the need to understand and appreciate the things we must endure from God. Yes, we're called to endure for God. But the Bible makes it very clear here that if we belong to the Lord, there are things that we're going to endure from God that He brings into our life. And that's the second thing we're called to remember. We're called to remember our Father's purpose. Our Father has a purpose when He causes us to endure some difficult things. And verses 5 through 11, that's the theme. Remember your Father has a purpose about what He's doing in your life. There's a purpose. The challenge is for us to understand that this which we are called to endure, this discipline, for that's what it is, we are called to endure discipline from the Lord because it's coming from our Heavenly Father. He administers it and we're called to endure it and remember and believe in His purpose for discipline. Now these verses are about discipline and I want to make sure we understand something about discipline. This is very, very important. Discipline is more than punishment. Discipline is more than punishment. How do they differ? Punishment has to do with justice. It has to do with justice. Things that are wrong are to be punished. That's justice. Punishment has to do with justice. Discipline has to do with love. Has to do with love. Discipline is never only about punishment. It is about the motive of love for the person who is being disciplined. Now, friends, think about it. God punished His Son. God punished His Son. Why? For justice. All of our sins cried out for justice because God must be the judge of the earth and He must punish wrong Every wrong must be punished if he is going to be just. And all of our sins demanded justice. But Jesus took our place. And he, the innocent one, went to the cross and assumed upon himself our sins. And God punished his son for justice sake. God satisfied his own justice 
And Jesus in his love accepted the Father's justice on our sins so that God might be just and also be the justifier of the one who believes in Jesus. God punished his son, Jesus, for justice. But God, listen carefully, disciplines his sons and daughters for love. God disciplines his sons and daughters for love's sake. Now, there are two truths that help us endure and actually appreciate God's discipline. To endure it and also appreciate it. How do you endure and go beyond that and appreciate discipline? Because discipline is never an enjoyable thing. What do we need to remember? These things. Number one, remember whom the Father disciplines. Remember whom the Father disciplines. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not God's sons, his children. Remember whom the Father disciplines. He disciplines the ones that truly belong to him. When I was born... My mom and dad took me back to that little tiny house on C Avenue. And when I was taken to that house in the backyard, and I have old photographs to prove it, there were four plum trees. Four plum trees. Not one of those plum trees endured my childhood. You see, you can only cut so many switches off a tree. <laughs> and then it dies. I'm not making this up. I sort of wish I was. My mom and dad thought those plum trees were just the handiest switch production company you could imagine. And they cut many off of them. Now, that's the truth. I didn't say that's a recommendation. Don't. I didn't make that recommendation, my children. No, I never switched one of them. There were no trees in that yard. <laughs> my parents disciplined me. And it was always the strangest thing to me. There were all kinds of my buddies who were much worse than me and behaved much worse than I did, they never spanked them, switched them one time. What's that all about? <laughs> I was their son. I never saw my mom or dad cut a switch or spank or anything, anyone else but me and once or twice my goody-two-shoes brother Lonnie, okay? But... <laughs> And Lloyd, I don't know that he ever got any at all, but I got several. Why? I was their son. 
Our Heavenly Father disciplines every one of His children. Verse 6 says, there's not a single one of His children that He does not discipline. Because each one is His child. Every believer in Jesus Christ is God the Father's child. And He will, out of love, discipline His children. Each and every one. Now that discipline can take many forms. Many forms. And it can take different times for different people. But the Lord disciplines His children. And we need to remember that. We need to remember whom the Lord disciplines His children. But here's the second thing to remember. It will help you endure discipline. Remember why the Father disciplines. Remember why He does it. There's a precious word in verse 6. Precious word indeed. Verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one He... What's the next word? Loves. He disciplines the one He loves. And He chastises every son whom He receives. See, God loves us too much not to discipline us. He loves us too much not to discipline us because He knows it is the most loving thing He can do. I love this quote. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is His megaphone to rouse a dead world. C.S. Lewis than the problem of pain. Pain that God administers, yes, at times in the lives of His Christians. It's because He loves. It is love that causes Him to do it. My friends, this is so important for everyone here. It is never love to withhold what is best for someone. It is never love to withhold what is best for someone. It is never love for a parent to withhold discipline from a child. If discipline is best for this child at that time. It is never love for a friend to say, well, I just love her so much. I love him so much. I don't want to hurt him, so I won't say this to him. I won't say this to her. I just love her too much. Friend, that is not love. That's not love. What's my authority for that? The Word of God. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend the wounds of a friend and that verse goes on to say but the kisses the kisses of an enemy are deceptive a person who will only tell you what he or she thinks you want to hear don't trust that person they don't have your best interests at heart. A person who doesn't want you to get upset with them is really not express, expressing love, is expressing selfishness. It's all about him or her and how 
he feels you feel about him. That's not love. A person who will come to you and say, I love you, and because I love you, I need to tell you this, and I'm sorry it is going to be painful, but I must tell you, when you have a friend like that, embrace that person. That is a gift from God himself. A person who loves you enough to tell you the truth. Now that's a gift. Hey, be a gift to your friends. Love them enough to tell them the truth. But if you're only doing it for yourself, if you're not doing it for them, then just be quiet. Be quiet. It's amazing how many people want to speak into the lives of others with whom they have no relationship whatsoever. If you don't have a relationship, you don't have a friendship, you don't want to be a friend with someone, then just be quiet. But if you truly love that person and you see this person's headed for trouble or this is going to bother them, then in the name of the Lord and with humility, speak up. Speak up. It glorifies our Heavenly Father to express love with discipline and instruction. But can I just encourage you this? Always remember who needs the most discipline and instruction in your life. Do you know who that is? You will see his or her reflection in the mirror. That's who needs the most discipline and the most instruction. Have a good talk with yourself. If you love yourself, then discipline yourself. Hold yourself accountable. And how do you do that? Well, that's the third thing to remember as we come to a close here in these next few minutes. You need to remember your personal priorities. Of all the people that you need to discipline, you need to discipline yourself. I need to discipline myself. And there are three priorities that are mentioned in verses 12 through 17. There are three priorities that we are to remember the first priority is the priority of determination. There's just really down-to-earth, buckled-in determination about this race that we're in. And here's how he says it. Now you know God's doing this for love. You know he's disciplining you as a father. Therefore, verse 12, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. <laughs> Therefore, connects what he's just said in verses 3 through 11 to what he's about to say to our own heart. Because the Lord does love you and the Lord does discipline you. Now, therefore, determine, be determined in this race. And he addresses, do you notice, he says he addresses the posture. He says, stand up straight. <laughs> Don't, don't mope around. You're a child of God. God's at work in your life. Now, lift up those shoulders and stop those shaky legs. Do you see that? <laughs> those trembling legs. Those, those are our knees that are knocking together at times. But God's on your side. He's at work. So lift up those shoulders. Get determined. Start running on those shaky legs. And now, clear your path. 
Address your posture and address the path. Clear it out. Get all the crooked stuff out of the way. Verse 13, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Now here you see, he says, remove the obstacles from your life. Get things out of the way. Get straight. Get your path straight. Stop living a crooked life and running a crooked race. Clear the path. Be diligent. And notice he talks about our own responsibility for ourselves and to clear the way for others. Remove the obstacles that are in your path and they may hinder others behind you. You know, the home that Susan and I lived in before this home that we live in these last two and a half years was the home that we raised our children in. And uh, we lived there for 22 years. Big old basement rancher that we worked on for years. And uh, it was a big house. Uh, best place to play, play hide and seek you ever saw in your entire life. I mean, it was great for that. We loved that with the kids. But it had one primary stair going down from the kitchen. There was another stair back in the back. But the, this primary stair going down from the kitchen, you know, I would go down, and downstairs was my study. I had a study down there. Most of the time, I'd go down there either on Saturdays at times and finishing things up, or at night after the kids were in bed, I'd go down there and work on some things. And I'd go down those stairs, and there would be toys and games and everything on those stairs. And I want to tell you, you've not felt pain until you step on a Lego barefooted. I mean, there is a nerve that that Lego reaches that goes all the way through your body. And so I would say to the kids, don't put this stuff on the stairs. I could trip over it. I stepped on it. Somebody's going to break their neck, and they would come, and they'd get their stuff, you know, take it back with their little chest, dump it in, you know. Other times I go down those stairs, there would be pots and pans and towels. I didn't say a word about those. <laughs> Let that go. Matter of fact, I, I knew what that meant. Pick them up. Take them, put them back. <laughs> it's still a hazard, though. <laughs> but seriously, as you run your race, think about your race, what's in your journey. How about the people that are following you? You know, there are always people following you. Always people following you. What are you doing for them? An old man going a lone highway came at the evening, cold and gray, to a chasm vast and deep and wide through which was flowing a sullen tide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim. The sullen stream had no fear for him, but he turned when safe on the other side, and he built a bridge to span the tide. 
Old man, said a fellow pilgrim near, you're wasting your strength with building here. Your journey will end with the close of the day. You'll never again pass this way. You've crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build you this bridge at the evening tide? The builder lifted his old gray head. Good friend, in the path I have come, he said. There follows after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This chasm that has been nothing to me, to that fair-haired youth may a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I'm building this bridge for him. The bridge builder. It's not just about our path. It's people that are following our path that we need to be concerned about as well, right? We have a duty to ourselves. That's a duty of determination. But also, I want us to see that this duty in our life is a duty about ourselves and others. Look at verse 14. There's duties in this race, two duties. Verse 14 says, We have a duty to strive for peace with everyone, and we have a duty to strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Here are the two duties that we are to remember as we run our race with endurance. We remember our duty to strive for peace. Now, isn't that interesting? What does the word strive mean? It means fight. It means wrestle. Some may say wrestle. But it means struggle. Struggle for peace. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It's the easiest thing in the world to fight with people. It's the most natural thing in the world to argue with people. But you've got to struggle for peace. You've got to fight for peace. You've got to determine you're not going to be a person with a chip on your shoulder and daring somebody to knock it off. You're not going to be that person who sees every conversation as an argument to win. You're not going to be that person who has to prove himself right. You're determined to work for peace. Jesus said there's a special blessing on people like that. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers. We're to strive for peace. And we're to strive for holiness. We have been set apart to God by Christ. We are holy in the sense that judicially we are not guilty. Praise God. We are judicially sanctified. But in this life now... We've got to practically engage ourselves in becoming more and more 
aligned with our Lord Jesus Christ and his pattern for our lives. Friends, listen. Jesus died to save us from our sins. But listen carefully. He also died to save us from our sinning. Jesus died to save us from our sins, but he also died to save us from our sinning. Jesus died to save us from the penalty of sin, but he also died to save us from the power of sin. And by his Holy Spirit, we are able to strive to pursue holiness. When you're pursuing holiness, that's not legalism. Because when you're pursuing holiness, you're not pursuing the law. You're pursuing the Lord. And doesn't that make all the difference in the world? You're pursuing love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself and then live however you want to live. If you can do it in those two constraints. That's freedom. When you live under the guardrails of love for God and love for man inside those guardrails, just live it up. That's not legalism. You know what I call that? Liberty. Love for God and love for man is not legalism. (laughs) That's legalism like tracks are for a train. Think a train says, well, I'm telling you what, these two tracks are just legalistic. (laughs) No, friend. It's those tracks that liberate that train. There's a good story for children about that. I can't remember the name of it, Ruth. I used to read it to you. The train that wanted to get off the tracks. What? Which one? Pano the train. Look it up. It's great preaching. Pano the train. That's right. (laughs) Wanted to get out with the cows and the sheep. Get off those tracks. Wow, did Pano find something out? Those tracks set him free. We have a duty to pursue the Lord. The Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see what? They shall see God. What does this verse say? Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness... Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No one's going to see the Lord that doesn't pursue holiness. Doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly. But a person who does not have in their heart a desire to pursue God and a godly life, Without that, that person is not going to see God. You need to start right there. And say, Lord, I need you in my heart. And I need you to change my wanter. <laughs> I don't want to want what I want any longer. Change my wanter. And the Holy Spirit, when he floods a person's heart... With the love of Jesus Christ. You know what? He changes your wanter. You know what I'm talking about? There's a danger in the race though. I just want you to see this. 
There's a danger. There's two great dangers in this race. And it comes out of a wrong focus. If you're going to run this race, you've got to keep the right focus. There's two dangers that are of a wrong focus. It's a wounded focus and a worldly focus. And I'm going to take those in reverse order very quickly. Number one, beware of the danger of a worldly focus. And that's the example of Esau. Esau. 